Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in to the We Are One podcast. This space, it's a collection of talks ranging anywhere from sermons from our ministry, creative thoughts, breakout sessions at things like We Are One Conference, as well as some inside scoops on leadership. We hope it helps you. If you want to keep up to date with everything We Are One, you can go to weareoneyouth.com or follow us on social at WAO Youth. We hope you're blessed. What do you think about this for a second? We're here tonight in this room. Take this in for a second. Because of people in the book of Acts that dangerously followed Jesus at whatever the cost was, because they followed him, a book had to be written about it so we could read the extraordinary events of what they did But what's amazing is we're here tonight because of the life that they lived. We would never know Jesus. We would never follow Jesus. Think about this. Some of the people you're sitting with, you would never even know them. You'd never meet them in your entire life. If the people in the book of Acts had not so dangerously and courageously chosen to live for Jesus it would have never rippled to this day today. When you read the book of Acts, it's it's a historical account. Now, I'm not a huge history buff, but I'll be honest, I've been like diving in, studying, I've been kind of getting a little bit into history, and I'm I'm like a math guy. Like math was my favorite subject in school. And uh, I've been getting into history, I'm like, wow, you know what's crazy? Secular scholars, secular, you know, historians, they look at the book of Acts, and it's an actual historical account. It's not a bedtime story. It's not a fable. Like the stuff we're going to talk about through the entirety of this year, it actually happened. And we're here in the ripple effect of people that chose to continue to follow Jesus. I, I, I would just wonder if Jesus doesn't tarry, it's an old phrase, which means if Jesus doesn't come back, which I believe he's coming back soon, but if he doesn't yet, we got, say, let's say even 50 years. I wonder who might be in this church because you chose to dangerously follow Jesus. Now, we could start tonight right at Acts 1. Acts 1, chapter 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will, you'll be something. But we're going to get there. We ain't there yet. We, we could go Acts 2. We could start right here. Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the, but we ain't going to start there tonight either. We can go to Acts 3. It's the first healing we see taking place. Acts 4, the first arrest taking place. Acts 5. The first death in the church taking place. Acts 6, they saw that the widows weren't getting fed, so they, they made sure that these people could take care of them. I mean, you keep going deeper. Acts 7, Acts 8, I mean, it gets crazy. People getting stoned. And we ain't talking about what you can find right here in the U.S. of A. Like, we could start at any of those places, but that's not where the Lord told me to start. God said... I want you at the start of this year to start at the end of the book. See, if this was any other year, I I don't know, maybe I might just start with Acts 1 because it's pretty compelling. But if you look at 28 chapters in the book of Acts, the Lord said, I want you to go right at the end here. So the next two weeks, I'm going to take you on a, a journey on the map. Acts 27, Acts 28. Because I just feel like this is a different kind of year. It's a dangerous kind of year. And we're going to have to look some things in the face right out of the gate. And I was running this by the team. And I was like, am I, am I going too hard like the first week? They're like, I mean, it's a little bit. You should have heard what I had prepared that, I, that the Lord said to move till next week. I feel like if I had done next week's message this week, people might not even though I come back next week. Acts chapter 27. Let's start there. And, and if you've got your Bible, I'm going to pretty much be there all night. I, I, I might grab a couple other things throughout the Bible, but 
It's on the screen as well for you. Let's go verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion, a centurion, a dude like a commander of the Roman army, named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. So it says here, Paul and some other prisoners. So Paul, all right, I'm taking you to the end of the story. The dude's a prisoner already at this point. This is how we're going to end the book of Acts. Super exciting, right? Joyful. Prison. But this is how it ends. Why is he a prisoner is the question. Let me give you a little backstory because it will help a little bit to set this up since I'm jumping at the end. And tomorrow when we start reading it all together, obviously we'll start at one and we'll, we'll learn together because it is chronological when you read it. But he's a prisoner because he just couldn't keep his mouth shut. He could not help but preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus. He couldn't help it. Everywhere he went, he couldn't shut up about it. He had to tell people about the goodness of Jesus. So he goes specifically into Jerusalem, knowing what's probably going to happen to him, and the Jews are ticked off. They actually wanted to kill him right there on the spot. But a soldier had come, taken him away, put him in, in the, the, the soldier's barracks, or like their house, and put him in there. And he's like, dude, I got to go back out with the people. I got to preach and stuff. Finally, we find ourselves where he's arrested, and Paul goes, I want to appeal on trial to Caesar. Once you do that, you're going from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Because once you appeal to Caesar, it's a big deal. You have to stand before Caesar. So Paul here, as we started off here in chapter 27, he's going to be on his journey on the way to Caesar. And the trek we're going to take the next two weeks is all the way to Rome. And it's a journey I'm going to show you. But I want to make it clear as we start tonight that Paul was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to teach you this. He was not a slave to addictions. He was not a slave to man, a slave to Rome. He called himself a slave to Christ. What does that mean? That means nobody's going to control me. Nobody's going to convince me. Nobody's going to get me off track. I'm not become a slave to anything. See, this generation, they, they are prisoners and slaves to a lot of things. Prisoners and slaves to social media. Prisoners and slaves and relationships. Prisoners and slaves to substances. But Paul said, Paul said here, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Nobody tricked him, coerced him, or overtook him to get him as a prisoner headed to Rome. God had a plan for him to go there, and he decided to go there. How many of you are you're being led by your own plans? And so a lot of different people and a lot of things in your life, they're prisoners. But there's a difference. See, when you're a prisoner of God, you chose the journey to Rome. You chose to do whatever Jesus had for you, whatever he asked of you. Because, see, this is what happened. When Paul was in the soldier's barracks, the Bible says that Jesus showed up to him and said, you have to go to Rome. There's something about when Jesus finally gives you instructions. For some of you, it's, it's, it's as I preach tonight. God is speaking to you that you need to obey and you need to listen and you need to do something. Your heart's going to stir. You will decide in that moment, what, who you will be a prisoner to. So you can pick up here the story after verse 1, chapter 27 of Acts. I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you. The Bible says that they boarded, as he's a prisoner going to Rome, they boarded an Andromedian ship at Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, it traveled about a day's journey to Sidon. Now, from there in Sidon, they came across the north side, the, the lee it's called, of Cyprus. The lee is like the wind forced them to have to go that way. And they made their way to Myra. And it says in verse 6 that there the centurion ditched the Adramanian ship and got an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Now I want you to think about this. 
the owner, the pilot of this ship. He has this whole group of prisoners and soldiers coming to him, and you got to be thinking. He's like, payday, baby, because I'm getting a bonus for every single passenger, prisoner, person on this ship. And this is like perfect. I got all these soldiers to look after all of my cargo and make sure that nothing happens to it. It's going to be secure the whole way. This is perfect. Oh, man. This dude, this brother right here, he has no idea what he signed up for because this trek is going to be nothing like he thought it was going to be. See, after many days of difficulty, they arrived off of Sindus. But see, the wind wouldn't allow them to stay on course, so they sailed around the southern side of Crete to a place called Fairhavens near the town of Lassie. And, and, and it continues here in verse 9 that much time had been lost. And sailing had already become, there it is, dangerous. Because by now, it was after the Day of Atonement. Meaning, it's getting colder. The weather's changing. It's not as nice outside. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. I want you to take notice here in verses 9 and 10 of this chapter of two key words that should stand out to you. Dangerous and disastrous. And I think that we, the start of this year, we need to define this because when we say keep us dangerous, we're saying the best of ways that the plan that God has for us, we are under the safety of his wing. We are covered by him. So we'll step out and we'll do things that nobody else will do, things that seem crazy and dangerous because we already know we're safe by God. But see, there's a big difference between dangerous and disastrous. See, Paul knew that it was dangerous to head to Rome. He knew that. He knew that it was dangerous to preach and spread the good news of Jesus. It was dangerous to plant churches. He knew this. Dangerous to be imprisoned. But see, disastrous is so different. Disastrous is when you've been given a warning. He just did. He said, men, this journey, if we keep doing this, it's going to turn out disastrous. We should not do this. So he, he knew he had to go to Rome. And however God wanted to get him there, he's willing to go. But he's looking right now at the safety of these men, realizing, you all don't know what you're doing. This is going to be disastrous. See, disastrous is when you've been given a warning and you don't heed it and you do what you want anyways. Can anybody resonate with that? You've been told, I'm telling you, you don't want to get in that relationship. I'm telling you. It's going to turn out bad. Yeah, I've seen it when people would be super faithful in church, super faithful in this ministry. Then when sports come along, it's like, see ya. See you in like three months. Disastrous. I'll play varsity soccer. I play, I play basketball. I was in marching band. Played the trumpet for eight years. Give me some break here. Help me out. But I'm a song like Spitfire, though. It's cool on a song like that. Pastor Luke was breaking out his trumpet because he plays too, and I was like, sick, let's go. Bring it back to fifth grade band. Let's get it. My point is, I, I, I did all that. Because, see, you can be really dangerous in those settings. You can be really dangerous if you stand up for Jesus in a locker room. You can be really dangerous in your classroom if you put your Bible on the, on the desk. Been there, done that. Trust me. You'll spark some conversations. You'll be really dangerous if you bow your head at the lunch table and you pray before you eat it. 
There's nothing wrong with being a part of these things. It's actually a great opportunity to be dangerous. But what becomes disastrous is when people don't heed the warning that anything that takes you away from the people of God will take you away from the person of God. Anything that takes you away from his church will take you away from him. And so I was like, well, it's just like for three months. For three months, what was it like not being here with the people of God and encouraged and pushed and challenged so you could grow? As many relationships as I had, and I only married one of them, my wife, I've been married eight years, I can tell you, they were all disastrous before Sid. And since marrying Sid, let me tell you, that is the definition of dangerous. And I, I didn't heed warnings until many times it was too late and I'd go, shoot. Are you living dangerous or disastrous? We should just start right now being really honest and answer it because at least we can all get on the same page. Which direction is the ship headed right now? Because see, if you're living dangerous, that means you're going God's way. It might look scary, but he's in it. If you're living disastrous, you're going your way. And let me tell you what I've always learned. Disaster brings destruction. Danger brings devotion every time. Because you will come so close to the heart of God, so devoted to him, you realize you cannot do what he's asking you to do if he's not with you. If he's not in it, you can't do it. I've always found that danger always brings me devotion with God. Every time. Disaster, always destruction. Always. How do I know what I'm talking about? Because I have tasted disaster. And I have tasted danger. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'll tell you, disaster and danger have a very different taste to them. So Paul is going on and on here with the people. He's saying, he's saying I'm telling you, this is going to turn out disastrous. This is not going to turn out like you think it's going to turn out. <laughs> Can you imagine the pilot, the owner of the ship? He's like, bro, I've been doing this a long time. Like, this is my ship. I know the weather. I've been out here. I've piloted a lot. Who are You're a prisoner? You're just some, like, guy in chains here? Like, what do you know? See, what he didn't know is Paul might not have been a, a sailor. But the dude had traveled a lot. The Bible records, we'll get there eventually this year, three missionary journeys. And when you see the map, he was all over the place. What? Preaching the gospel of Jesus all over the Roman Empire. The dude had seen some water. So when he's saying, hey, this is going to be disastrous, the dude's like, what is, this guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. Oh, Paul knew exactly what he was talking about. Look at verse 11. But the centurion, he didn't listen to Paul. Instead of listening to what Paul said, he followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter and they couldn't stay there, the majority decided that we should sail on hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. So here's where it gets interesting. If you look now at this next verse, verse 13, here's where it all begins. When a gentle south wind began to blow, and they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster. It swept down from the island, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it, and we're driven along. What you got to know, it said here that they were, had the opportunity northwestern, southwestern, but the wind was northeastern. And they're on an Alexandrian ship. Alexandrian ships, although they were sturdy, they could not go into the wind very well. So here, as he said, it's going to be disastrous. Here's the beginning of it. It said of hurricane force. What is this? If you read the Greek, it literally translates a typhoon hits them at this moment. And so they're sailing around the southern coast of Crete, where at one point there's protected mountains, but then once the mountains pass, there's the valley. 
And once they're open for the wind to strike them, this northeastern wind that they cannot battle with in this Alexandrian ship, it comes between the mountains through the valley and the wind shifts and it just pummels them. It begins to beat on the boat, beat on the boat till finally they had to face opposite of what this ship can handle. They had to face into the wind because if they didn't, the boat was going to be capsized. So they pass a small island called Cauda. And the storm was so severe, you have to understand as they're coming to this point, they have their lifeboats. You would think we should just bail or whatever. The lifeboats are being just rocked in the water right now. What was once just kind of traveling along when this northeaster wind hit, the lifeboats are getting thrashed, banged around. The sailors are grabbing them. They're trying to get them up into the boat and secured. They took ropes underneath the hull of the boat, which was like the main structure of the boat. They're trying to secure it. They're trying to make sure it's sturdy. They're trying to make sure that they're going to make it through this storm. Every sailor on board is freaking out. Imagine it with me. Everybody's struggling through the wind and the waves. Finally, they, they lower the sails, and they just let the boat just be driven. They let the wind literally just take them because they're like, we don't know where we're going to end up, but we know if we keep the sails up right now, they were coming around a dangerous spot that if they got stuck on the sandbars of Syracuse, the Bible demonstrates that this location here, if you, if you will get into the history of it, if you'll get into the geography of it a little bit, that they didn't want to get stuck there because it says the ship would run aground. Do you know what that means? It means that there was deep parts in the sea like we know, but then you ever been on a sandbar on a lake or something like that? There was the shallow parts. So imagine as the sail is up and they're getting rocked all over, they finally brought the sail down and they just took off because if they got stuck in that moment on a sandbar, they were dead. What do you mean? I love parking my boat on the sandbar and hanging out with my fam in the summer. No, no, no. See, they, they were dead because if they got stuck there in the midst of the storm, there was nowhere they could go. There was no hope of finding land. And where they were coming, it was, it was northern side of Libya, of Africa. So they're coming around there, but it's too far away. The storm's too, so severe. So if they get stuck on the sandbar, they would die. How? Dehydration. There's this old axiom, like a saying that sailors would say, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. So they had enough grain, they had enough food to eat, they'd figure that side out, but they had no water. So as the storm is pushing them, they just hurry up, change the sail, take off, they escape the sandbar, and it says in verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they begin to throw the cargo overboard. They're like, we just got to like change the weight of this thing. We got to get this in proportion. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. They get rid of everything to help them survive just so they possibly can. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This is where when we read now Acts 27, labeled the shipwreck. This is where Paul was shipwrecked. In the midst of this, this is when the boat is breaking down. This is when the storm is breaking. This is where the boat is struggling in the water. And it says in verse 21 that after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Okay. Think about this. This is your mom doing this right here. This is your dad doing this right here. This is a leader, a pastor. This is a friend. I told you so. They're hitting you with one of those right now. I told you this is what was going to happen. I told you. Paul stands up. He's like, listen, I tried to tell you all this is going to end disastrous. But I, I love how his confidence as a prisoner <laughs> Prisoners don't speak. If you watch movies, they get hit. They get beat. They get killed. I love his confidence in the spirit to be like, listen, man, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared your, yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you. Look it. And then he transitions. Can I just help you with this transition? Some of you, yeah, you might do a wrong. Some of you might have gone the wrong direction. Some of you might have been living disastrous. But at some point when you recognize it, realize it, and the storm is beating you down, you have to do right now what Apostle Paul is saying. Now I urge you to keep up your courage. 
Don't give up now when the storm's too rough. Don't give up now when you know you've messed up. Don't give up now when you know that you are on a disastrous journey. Change your course. Get some courage. Go God's direction. You can change. God has a plan for you. He's not done for you. Don't give up where you are. Don't give up in the wreckage. Because not one of you, he promises, will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Pilate ain't liking that part. He said, last night an angel of God, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. What is he saying? You're going to have to make it to Rome, Paul. I'm going to get you there, Paul. This is the best part, though. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Can I just speak this into somebody's spirit? Because if I move past this, I really feel like this sermon was a waste. Paul knew that this journey would be dangerous. He knew there would be repercussions. But he also knew if he played it safe, he could not align himself with God's plan. Please hear me tonight. He just said, I'm going to graciously give you everybody that's with you. If you say, play it safe, people can't be saved. Your safety will not produce their saving. Listen to me tonight. Listen. Listen. Some of you are playing it so safe. So safe. Your life is so cookie cutter. Your life is so predictable. You're caught in this cycle, in this trap of just doing the same stuff. Never taking a risk for God. Never being obedient like he actually tells you, well, I go to church and I remember. He's asking for more. Why? He never asks more without giving you more. He never asked more of you without equipping you with more. And some of you, you're playing it safe. You're playing it safe with your family just kind of keep your head down and you get through everything and you have these moments where you could shine Jesus, where you could show them the love of Jesus. Every holiday, every time I gather with my wife's family, it's awkward for me every time at the point that we go to pray because I love the fact that they do it out of respect and they let me do it, but it's also awkward knowing I'm going to be the only one really digging into it. And can I clarify, when I say dig in, I mean dig in. Jesus, maker of heaven and earth. No, I ain't like that. I'm just like, Jesus, this is all about you. If you had not died on the cross for our sins, this holiday Christmas wouldn't even matter. If you hadn't come, born to a virgin, left heaven for us, this wouldn't even matter. Every Easter, every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, every time we're there, I get. The, but it's awkward. I could keep my head down and, and we could just get through it. Or I could be dangerous. Some of you, you're playing it so safe with your family. You're playing it so safe at school. You're playing it so safe at work. Can I tell you, some of you, you play it safe when you come here. God has so much for you when you come here, but you never serve. You, you know how many amazing people you could meet and how much you could grow in what we call discipleship? A disciple of Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. You know how much you could grow if you'd serve? Some of you, you've teetered whether or not you'd want to do the internship for so long. Like, what's, what's holding you back? Some of you are like, you come on Wednesday, but look, you realize there's a whole other world called trifecta with the middle and HSD, which is high school discipleship, and progression our young adults on Sundays. There's a whole other world at 9 and 11 on Sundays where the whole church gathers, and we get buck wild on Sundays. And your plan is safe. You're doing what's easy for you. But I need you to understand the scripture. He said, I've given you, graciously given you, everyone that's sailing with you. If you play it safe, they can't get, be saved. Because only those, as you live dangerous, that get on the boat with you can be saved. Can I tell you this? If you're playing it safe, Nobody's getting on a boat that's heading towards Jesus, I can promise you that.
well, but like, uh, just by my example, I show people Jesus. Absolutely, guys. We should, by our example, show people Jesus. I'm not saying everywhere we go, we're like, hey, so yeah, Jesus, you should know him. He's awesome. Uh, I'm not saying, saying do that. Maybe God might call some of you to preach like this or maybe even be like the Apostle Paul, uh, maybe a missionary that goes places and brings the gospel. That's awesome, whatever God calls you to do. But there is something more when you're sitting there in, in your classroom, in your house, whatever, and finally being silent and just showing it with our actions is not enough. Now, I believe in the idea that it, you got to practice what you preach, so don't say something and live a different way. But I'm saying, like, how many of you, you've played it safe? You played it safe all of 2022. It didn't require sacrifice to follow Jesus for you. You didn't stretch yourself to follow Jesus. You didn't stretch your bank account to say, you know what, I, I'm going to give beyond what I, I don't even know if God is going to allow me to do this, but I'm going to give. You know how many people I've seen just blessed beyond measure because they're generous to the kingdom of God? Crazy stories, guys. Crazy stories. How many different opportunities has, has God given you in 2022 that you never even got them because you were just playing it safe the whole time? See, I love this. I love this with Paul because he's here in this moment and he realizes that the only reason that these people will be saved is because he didn't play it safe. It says in the next verse, verse 25, now he's full of it, man. This is a dangerous son of a gun right here. Verse 25, he says, so keep up your courage, men. He's pumping them up now. This is when the storm is the worst. He's pumping them up. Keep up your courage, man. He said, you may not. I love this. You may not, but I have faith. You may not have it right now, but I have faith in God that what I just told you, it will happen just as he told me. Faith is the only thing that keeps you dangerous. Faith is the defining factor between what is dangerous and disastrous. Because some people might say, well, what are you doing? That looked like disastrous. No, this is dangerous. This is what God told me to do. You know how many promises of God I'm waiting on right now? Walking through the whole cancer journey that I did waiting on. Wanting to have a child waiting on. My calling waiting on. Things with my kids waiting on. What is it called? Faith. When it hasn't happened, I have faith that if God spoke it, he has to fulfill it. If it's his word, he won't go against his word. See, faith is, angel shows up, tells him, listen, you're going to make it to Rome, Paul. You're going to get there. You're going to stand before Caesar and everybody's going to be saved. See, faith is like, man, even when that moment's over, even when I'm still tripping and the storm's hitting really hard, I'm going to have faith. When nobody else has faith on the boat, I'm going to have faith. Listen, I realize in your classrooms, I realize at your homes, I realize on your sports teams, I realize at your workplaces, people don't have faith. They do not love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I realize that your dojo or whatever it is that you're a part of, I realize your clubs, that they don't have faith. But you can stand up and say, listen, you might not have faith, but I have faith. And here's the beauty. I don't just have faith. I'll be saved. I have faith if you'll get on my ship, you'll be saved. See, this is the defining factor right here between something that is dangerous and disastrous. Faith. And the Bible says that on the 14th day, as they were driven across the Adriatic Sea, that at midnight, there's something. You're going you're gonna to read the book of Acts. You're going to realize there's something about midnight that happens in the book of Acts. It's good stuff at midnight. They realize that they're approaching land. They were taking soundings in the water, and it was getting shallower and shallower, so they know they're coming up towards land. But they're fearing because right now at the pace they're going, driven by the wind, it says driven by the, Ad in the, in the Adriatic Sea, they, they realize that they're going to crash into this thing. They're going to wreck the boat. They're going to be stuck. They don't know what they're going to do. So what they do is they take four anchors, they throw them from the stern, and they're just dragging. They're just trying to slow down. In verse 30, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. <laughs> this is crazy. These suckers. Pretending. Pretending they're going to lower some anchors from the bow. They're trying to sneak off the boat. So Paul said to the centurion, hey, 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 whoa. And the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship. Think about this. If these dudes get off the ship, you ain't going to be saved, soldier. 
you know what I'm about to do? I'm about to do exactly what Julius and those boys did. So the soldiers cut the ropes and they held the lifeboat and they let it drift away so nobody could get away. This dude, Paul, told me it was going to be disastrous. It became disastrous. He told me an angel showed up and said, listen, you'll all be saved if you stick with me, boys. And now he's, these boys are trying to get away. I'm going to cut those boats. It done. We all staying here together, boys. You know why? Follow the scripture. What did the angel tell Paul? He said, I have graciously given you everyone. What does it say? Everyone on the ship who is with you. Why did he not let them escape? Was it because he didn't want them to be saved? No, because if they escaped, they weren't going to make it. Everybody's looking for an escape. This is why marijuana is legalized. Everyone's looking for an escape. But if they escape, they're not saved. So Paul tells them, think about this. It starts in the prisoner who was telling them that they shouldn't do this. And the pilot's like, blah, blah, he doesn't know. I've sailed a lot. Let's do it. And Julius, the centurion, he goes with the, the, the pilot. It goes from a prisoner who doesn't know who he, what he's talking about to when the prisoner says, listen, if these boys get off the boat, you ain't being saved. Cut. It goes from a dude that won't be listened to to somebody who's the sole voice being listened to on the ship. Listen, you might not feel like anybody's listening to what you have to say. You might not feel like the way you're living is making a difference or a dent. It doesn't matter. And everybody else is listened to over you. But I'm telling you, if you'll stay consistent, even in the midst of the storm, if you'll stay consistent, even in the midst of our world that is going crazy, if you'll just stick with the stuff, the voice that you think is being drowned out, your voice by the world will become the trumpet, the triumph, the megaphone to this generation that eventually someone in your school, somebody in your workplace, somebody, your parent is going to come to you and say, listen, I, I'm, I'm so stuck. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get through this. Give me some advice. Cut the ropes. That ain't good advice. Can you give me something else? Cut the ropes. Because if you can escape, that means you don't need to be saved. But if you're left in that moment and you give yourself no escape, substances, 2023, I'm done with them. I'm done escaping. Cutting, I'm done with it. I'm done escaping. Depression, making it this cool thing where this generation's like, it's cool. I'm depressed. Anxiety, I'm done with it. Like you're going to literally walk out of this room tonight and say, I'm done being depressed. It ain't cool. There's nothing cool about being depressed all the time and needing people's attention to try to make you feel better about yourself because you're so depressed and you're not worth anything and God didn't create you for anything special. I'm done with it. I'm cutting the ropes. There's no more escape. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not going to those people anymore that I escape. And when, I, when I'm at church, it's like, oh, I feel so accepted and people treat me so nice. But when I go to these people, it's like I'm kinda, I kind of hate life with this, this friend group, but it makes me a little more popular, so it makes me feel a little bit better. Done escaping. Because if you keep escaping, there's no reason for saving. Cut the ropes. I love this because Paul's voice goes from being one that's so unimportant in the grand scheme to being the most important voice on the ship. You have to imagine everybody's on board. They're freaking out, though. Those ropes get cut. And their only way of being saved from this ship and from this storm just got cut. You got to imagine they're freaking out now. And then Paul, i got to help you understand here. Paul, the prisoner, he's standing with chains like, sup. They're realizing that they might not survive from this wreckage. So Paul brings this into their spirit, I imagine. Now, it doesn't record this, but you guys got to know how many things in your life, if you were to write down your day in your journal, your diary, whatever it is, how many details are left out? So read between the lines. Boys, listen. I told you, if you're with me, 
you can be saved. He begins to now encourage them. He begins to put this in their spirit. The Bible actually says that he finally starts calming them down because for 14 days, it's been crazy. They haven't really eaten for 14 days because everything's been so suspenseful. What's going to happen to us? It's like anxiety high for 14 days. Like, are we going to make it? They're exhausted. They're weary. They're malnourished. So verse 35, he's like, boys, we need to eat. And I love this verse so much. This is the game changer. This is when you know, this is when you know that at one point, God asks you to do something, right? And it's dangerous, and you're scared to do it, and you don't know, is this going to work out? Did I hear God? Am I crazy? Was this is when you know right here. Look at verse 35. After he said this, like we need to eat, boys, he took some bread, gave thanks in front of all of them, it's, it's, and then he broke it, and he began to eat it. It's kind of like a communion-esque moment. He breaks it. He gives thanks to the Lord, remembers who he is and what he's done in front of all of them. Why is that important? Because what started as a prisoner journey to Rome turned into a missionary journey. Showing people about who Jesus is. You might think that you're just on a prison journey, some of you. You might just think your life is controlled and restricted and gone this way and that way. Look at this whole thing. Who was maneuvering this ship? God was. He decided when to blow the wind. He decided when to rock the boat with the waves. He decided when to make the stars disappear and it to black out for 14 days. Why? Because sometimes if you ain't caught in the midst of a prison journey, you won't finally have the full guts to be led by God and by the Spirit to just do whatever He asks you to do when He asks you to do in this, to make it a missionary journey. And I love this because at first it's like, hey, it's going to be a disaster, guys, and hey, cut the ropes, and it seems kind of just random, but is it? Or is it leading up to this moment when He breaks the bread and He gives thanks to His God, to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, making it very known that Caesar, he ain't higher than Jesus. And what started as a journey to Rome to stand on trial before Caesar quickly became a, a missionary opportunity for the love and grace of Jesus Christ to be known to all of these people and, as we'll get into next week, a whole bunch more before his journey ends. So after they eat, Paul's encouraging them. They eat it as much as they need, and then because, remember, they're, they're, they're heading towards the soundings are getting lower. They're heading towards land, they believe. They start throwing stuff off the boat to make it lighter. They're thinking they can try to save the ship. They, cut, they, they take the uh, anchors. And they cut loose the anchors. They untie the ropes because they were holding the rudder in place just to try to steer the ship. They raise the sails. And it says in verse 41, but the ship, they he, said it, he said the ship was going to be destroyed. He already said it, so there's the punchline. But the ship struck a sandbar. And ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Daylight struck. The storm was over. But the ship was destroyed. Because when God says something is going to happen, even through one of his servants, it's going to happen. Do you realize how many different sermons I've preached just being obedient to God, not knowing the end result? And then sometimes days, months, or even years later, I found out it was prophetic. You know what that means? It means I said something that was going to have repercussions into the future. I didn't know it. Because it wasn't me, it was God. Here the ship is destroyed. And the Bible says that at this point, the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners. Want to know why? They were scared all the prisoners were going to start jumping off, swimming away, trying to get away. And if a single prisoner got away, do you know what happens to the soldiers when they get to Rome? You executed. So the soldiers think, you know what we need to do? We need to hurry up and kill all the prisoners right now. We'll bring their dead bodies back to Rome. Proof that they were with us. 
We're going to make sure because this has been crazy. I ain't going to let anybody away. We're going to make sure that we're going to stay alive. But the centurion, see, Paul had a special favor on his life. The centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. All the prisoners were saved only because the centurion wanted to make sure that Paul was saved. Does that sound like graciously giving you everyone on the boat with you? He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And this way, everyone reached land safely. Chapter 28, verse 1 is where I will stop and where we will start next week. And once safely on the shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. So if you look at the big picture of the journey that they just went on, they ain't made it to Rome yet. We'll get there next week. But Jerusalem to Malta, sheesh, that was a journey. You look at, you look at every step that they took in the water with that boat the whole way there. They were getting rocked. They were getting thrown. And it comes to this point where they land on this island. I want to do a quick count with you. Because God said he would graciously give everybody on the boat. Do you want to know what the Bible says? How many they started with? 276 of them took off on this journey. When the boat crashes in to Malta, it's destroyed. It's completely wrecked. Do you know how many people were on the boat? 276. Because when God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. If God calls you to something, you better do it because I need to help you understand this. If you don't do it, he's going to do it through you or in spite of you, but he's going to do it. And he's going to either open up your mouth like a donkey and he's going to make you do what he wants you to do. Or you're going to be obedient to say, I get to be used of God. I get to live a dangerous life. I don't, I don't want to play it safe. What's amazing is you get to live dangerous. And you know what God takes care of? Your safety. He'll take care of you. Can I tell you the bottom line? When God's done with you, he's done with you. Ooh, that's, that's intense. That's some Jesus-loving gospel, isn't it? Listen, understand when God is done with me, he's done with me. If he wants cancer to take my life, it's going to take my life. If he wants to heal me, he's going to heal me. I'm just sorry if any of you wanted to see me go, but I ain't going anywhere because I know God's not done with me because he's given me some dangerous vision for what he wants to do. I'm at least going to walk through this year in the name of Jesus because you live dangerous, you let God take care of you. Here's my point, though. If God takes me at 70, if he takes you at 17, if he takes me at 35, I turn that this month, or he takes you at 13, God is God. And what he wants to do with our lives, he will do. It's really a determining factor of whether or not you will surrender to him. But he's, he's going to do what he wants because he's God. But I am so honored that I get to love and the live in the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus. That I can know that I don't just have to be tossed disastrously by the wind, but I get to be led dangerously by the Holy Spirit. Because I know I've been forgiven. I know I've been redeemed. I know God has a plan for my life. And I know as long as I have breath here on planet Earth, man, man he's got a dangerous plan for me. Why would I start here at the end? Why would I start the year at the end of this book? This is a different type of year, y'all. If you didn't know what you were getting into, I don't know, maybe there'll be some lighter kind of nights. But I just want to help you understand, I plan on preaching like Jesus is going to come back any second. I plan on all year I will preach this year more than I've ever preached in a year. And it's not about me preaching. It's about what God asked me to do. He asked me to preach this. So I'm just doing what he asked me to do. 
But why did I start here? I started here because if we don't learn very quickly, right here, night one, how to face danger, how to face rejection, how to face fear. How to face God haters. People in our world that just, they just want to light the world on fire and watch it burn. People that just want to see Christians suffer. Who just want to ridicule you and put you down and shut you down for your faith. If we don't learn right now how to face these people, these circumstances, these things, with the love and the dangerous grace of Jesus, unashamed to look it right in the eye. Praying Jesus keep us dangerous is not going to help you if you're not willing to face it. Do you realize what the Bible talks about? (laughs) What the Apostle Paul faced? He wrote about it. He wrote to the church at Corinth. He took a missionary journey there, and then he came back, and he was writing them letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. He said, let me tell you what I've faced. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Can I just... Just get this in you tonight. You will never be dangerous until you're in danger. Until you're in danger of criticism. Until you're in danger of being an outcast. Until you're in danger of being unpopular. In danger of being unliked. In danger of even being persecuted. Until you are in danger, you can never be dangerous. It is this simple. We're not going to live a watered-down Christianity of, of flowers and roses and butterflies that Jesus just loves us. Jesus died on a cross because he was so dangerous to tell everyone that he was sent from heaven, lived a perfect life, confessed to them freely, I am the Son of Man. And I forgive you. Go and sin no more. He was so dangerous that he became in danger of the cross. And the reason it's harder for us to get it is nobody is putting a knife to our throat and saying, if you serve Jesus, I'm going to kill you. Nobody's putting a gun to our head and saying, if you serve Jesus, you're going to die. So we don't even know what danger looks like following Jesus. And we can't just take a little bit of criticism. We we can't just take some people hating on us, talking bad about us, gossiping about us, even family turning on us. We ain't talking about guns and fire and knives. If you never face danger, you will never be dangerous. If you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he lived as a Christian for 32 years of his life. That's less, I'm I'm older than how many years he was a Christian. 32 years of his life. He died in 67 A.D. In 56 AD, he wrote what we just read in 2 Corinthians. Follow me. It's some math. 11 years, if you didn't catch it. Follow me. 
So 32 years following Jesus, minus 11 years from the time he died to the time he wrote what we just read, 2 Corinthians. 11 years. Minus that, how many years are left? 21. Helping the math majors in the room. 21 years. Follow this. 2 Corinthians, in danger of, in danger of, in danger of, beatings, being stoned, shipwrecks, imprisonment, all of that. That, he wrote that in 56 A.D. He hadn't even been shipwrecked in Acts 27, what we just read. What's my point? 2 Corinthians, everything we just read, that's only the first two-thirds of his life following Jesus. We can talk about it next week. If you're dangerous enough to show up, there's still 11 more years uncounted for we got to talk about. Why is that important? Because he recognized that he was willing to endure the greatest of hardship. And man, if it just was somebody tonight, if just somebody with me will get this in their spirit, honestly, if just one, I can run this whole year, if just one person will get this with me. He endured it all because he recognized that the dangerous gospel of Jesus Christ could set people free from the disastrous life that they're living. The whole world could be on fire and in disaster, but if the church will just, just stay dangerous, if Jesus can just keep us dangerous, everybody that will get on the ship with us, they will be saved. Your family will be saved. Your classmates will be saved. Your athletes that you play with will be saved. The people you game with that you never even met, you just know their gamer tag, they'll be saved. If they're in the chat, then they're on the ship. people at your work that they, you know they hate God. If you'll just stay dangerous where you are, don't play it safe. They'll be saved. Jesus, keep us dangerous. If you're unwilling to face danger, you'll never be dangerous. I'm not saying be careless. I don't want somebody leaving here and be like, Pastor Dave told me to do that. I, I didn't tell you to ride your bike off of that roof into a pool or something. Like, I didn't, like, whatever you're thinking. Like, I didn't say be stupid. I mean, we grab a hold of the Holy Spirit inside of us and we just let the wind and the waves and the storm kick us wherever God wants us. And we be willing wherever we go to just be obedient and do what God wants. That when the world and everyone around us is doing something else, we don't listen to that. We only follow what God asked us. And he said, go to Rome. You don't have to like it. You don't have to want to do it. You just have to be dangerous enough to do what he said. And I promise not only you, but everyone on the ship will be saved. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? I just want to give you an opportunity for those in the room, if you don't, have a relationship with Jesus. So this whole message for you, it's like not fully making sense yet. 
because you're like, why would I want to live dangerous and do the things that you're talking about? Because see, when you finally come into the loving kindness, the forgiveness, and the glory of Jesus, even with your eyes closed right now, you can still look upon him and you can see him full of glory. The Son of God seated at the right hand of the Father. And when you can see that, you're willing to risk and do whatever is necessary so that other people can see that. So if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to give you an opportunity to start off this year to dedicate your life to Jesus. Not some religious act, not just coming or showing up to church, not trying to look the part, but right now just kind of laying yourself bare before God and saying, God, know me. Holy Spirit, come. I open up my life to you. Come and know me. You don't have to know all about him to fully give him permission to know you. Could I help you with something tonight? He already knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He planned your birthday far before your parents were ever surprised. He knows you. But there's something special about when you give him a personal invitation to come and get to know you more. Because by inviting him to know you, you're inviting yourself to know him. So with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just want to ask you tonight, is there anyone in the room that that's you? You're saying, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to confess my sin to him tonight that I've fallen short and I needed his forgiveness. If that's you, lift your hand up across this place and say, that's me. Thank you over here. Thank you, guys. Over here, I see you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you guys for responding tonight. Would you stand on your feet with me tonight? If anyone doesn't know me, um, I just want to clarify a couple of things because they're a little confusing. I yell because I'm excited, not because I'm mad. And I cry because I'm happy, not because I'm sad. But I just feel the presence of God here tonight. And lives are being changed. Think about the moment when you first accepted Jesus and your life was changed. You still got that fire inside of you to live dangerously for Jesus. Or have you let it get dim and, and dull and small because of the, the, the path that you've gone on some, some Alexandrian or Andromenian ship that was disastrous? I believe for two things tonight. One, that Jesus is saving people in the ship tonight. Isn't it exciting that people, they lifted their hand to receive salvation and, and Jesus just is saving some people on the ship tonight. But two, I believe that the Holy Spirit is bringing a fresh wind on some people tonight. And you need to understand that where a flame gets small and dull, the only way to let it grow is you got to blow on it. And I believe that where some of you, your flame is dull and small, the Holy Spirit is bringing a fresh wind. He's going to blow on some of you tonight. And it's going to ignite a fire inside of you to live for Jesus at all costs and to be who God created you to be. So I want to pray a prayer tonight to celebrate 
with Jubilee tonight, the people that are giving their life to Jesus. And then we're going to respond to him, and we're just going to let the Holy Spirit have his way tonight. So say this with me. It's in faith of who he is, what he can do, and that he's changing you right now. Say, Jesus, say, I declare tonight, January 4th, 2023, that I'm being changed from glory to glory because I'm forgiven. I'm being restored. I'm being regenerated tonight. And I believe you have more in store for me. The reason, say, the reason that I believe this is because I confess with my mouth and I believe with my heart tonight that Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived a perfect life. He came from heaven for me. He died the death I could never die. And he lived the life I could never live. Bring it down, bring it down. But tonight, where I couldn't live it, come on, get this in your spirit. I'm going to live it because now I have Jesus in me. Open up your eyes. I want to teach you something, then we'll pray it. When you accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. And it's a permanent fan keeping the flame alive if you'll let it. And if you'll let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life, I want to teach you this. That where Jesus lived a life sinless, you can too. But where we fall, where we fail, we confess our sin to God in repentance. He forgives us. We get up and we keep going. So say this. Say, Jesus, as I accept you tonight, I receive your Holy Spirit. Come on, that's for somebody to say, I receive your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fan into flame the fire inside of me and help me to live. Come on, I want you to shout this out. Help me to live a dangerous life so that when the world is living disastrous, I will stay dangerous. Tonight, Jesus, I give you the glory the honor and the praise because what you did on the cross, it now lives in me. And because you are dangerous, come on, somebody confess it tonight. I will be dangerous. Jesus, keep us dangerous. In the name of Jesus, everybody says tonight, amen. Amen. Come on, give them praise.